What's up, y'all? This is Michael from the 100 Club Podcast. Welcome to season two. I wanted to take a pause and say thank you. The support for the show has been phenomenal, and I'm excited to continue to bring more content by talking to leaders in the space. And since day one, I've wanted to bring on the industry's best to talk about the ways that we are creating positive sales cultures, positive change in the industry, and in turn, creating real results. Sometimes that comes in the form of occupancy. Sometimes that's healthier margins and even can lead to stronger employee retention. I always want to hear from the people that listen to the show and those that are listening clearly want to take their game to the next level. So if you have any questions or thoughts or even suggested topics, I'm here for it. So reach out to me. It's 100clubpodcast at gmail.com. That's 100clubpodcast at gmail.com. Fire away with your thoughts. So without further ado, let's jump into it with our next guest. All right. Welcome to the 100 Club Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, and we have another fantastic guest, Debbie Howard. She is the co-founder and the CEO of Senior Living Smart. And so before I get too wordy, uh, Debbie, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Thanks for the invitation. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah, it's going to be good. And we were just talking offline and we were realizing that it hadn't been since smash uh that we had we've talked and so it feels like it's a, a good reunion and uh why don't you share a little bit because i think that that's kind of uh, what you guys did at smash <laughs> was so much fun with the tom cruise impersonator what yeah. made you think of that actually it was our head of um of content jim podowitz um, he said, you know, let's let's really do something fun uh, that would bring attention and draw people into our space, because that's always a difficult thing. Um, and so he came up with, you know, do it yourself. Marketing is risky for business. And then he came up with this whole risky business theme. Um, uh, my business partner, Andrea, found a Tom Cruise impersonator who was. Uh, did, did you get your picture taken with him, Michael? I did. Yeah. He was amazing. He actually does the voiceovers for all the Tom Cruise trailers because Tom Cruise charges too much to do his own voiceovers for his trailers. And so um, Evan, who is his, his uh, little lookalike, his little mini me, um, and he was great. He engaged with folks and jumped on the sofa with Lacey Youngman and like, took everybody's picture. And he was just so gracious and just stayed in character the whole time. And that was just a lot of fun. Well, it was, he was scary, uh, similar. Like it was, it was honestly like, it was almost like a exact replica. And I've honestly, I got to make fun of John LaRisha, our founder <laughs> of, of Welcome Home. He, I've never seen him smile so big when he was around <laughs> that impersonator. I thought it was hilarious, but what a cool, what a cool, um, idea. And, and Debbie, just to set the stage, do you mind just sharing just a little bit about yourself? Uh, kind of just your background and how you got to Senior Living Smart to, to set the stage. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. It's always interesting to hear founder stories. <laughs> I love, love to it. hear them too. 
Um, so myself and my business partner, Andrea, we grew up on the operator side of senior living. So both of us started at the community level. Um, she was the first executive director that Tom Grape hired at Benchmark. Um, she stayed with them for 12 years and advanced through the ranks to VP of operations. She um, was had developed their memory care program uh, and also worked for Atrian Brookdale in operations and dementia care uh, type of roles. And I started off in sales and marketing became a regional with Benchmark, a divisional VP with Emeritus, national VP of sales and marketing with Five Star. So I had 210 buildings in the 30-something states to drive occupancy in. And, you know, I loved, loved, loved the industry, um, but found that uh, kind of lost that passion and purpose and mission the, you know, in a publicly traded company, because it's very hard to, to kind of serve profit and people. And when you choose you know, Wall Street, you're kind of choosing profit. So the further we kind of got away from the community, uh, you know, the less fulfilling it was. And we loved the industry. We wanted to continue to add value and and translate that experience on the operator side into helping, um, you know, solve problems like occupancy growth and lead generation. So SMART actually stands for strategy, marketing, analytics, resources, and technology, because those are kind of the five buckets that separate those that are really successful um, with those that struggle. So strategy, people had a lot of tactics, but they didn't have an overarching strategy to connect those tactics. Um, when we started the company 10 years ago, we just had our anniversary. Um, they had marketing, but it wasn't digital marketing. It was still very traditional. Um, they analytics, they either had no data or they had so much data, but they couldn't uh, turn it into usable information that would inform strategy. So it wasn't really doing anything for them. Um, resources, there was not a good way of kind of sharing best in class resources and helping people make good decisions about what platforms to choose or, you know, where to get things like floor plans or, you know, who to use for all of these other, you know, types mm -hmm. of resources. And then technology, because we tended to be more high touch than high tech. And so there was a real lag in adoption of technology. Now, the pandemic has kind of, I think, accelerated uh, some of those changes, which has, I think, overall, in some ways, has been good for the industry, more adoption of digital technology and technology in general. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, never realized that SMART was an acronym. That's great, because I, I feel like all of those really line up really well. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you only had one of those letters, if you had <laughs> to stick with one, what would it be? And what's I love important? that question, Michael. No one has ever asked me that. So um, it's strategy. If you don't mm -hmm. have the right strategy, all of the other things that you're going to do are not going to get you the results. And And I think that we don't uh, pay enough attention because sometimes I think folks get panicked, you know, either leads are going down or occupancy is going down or a new competitor comes in and it's just kind of, well, let's just throw this at the table, right? Let's just throw this against the wall. Let's, oh, let's run Google ads or let's do a direct mail campaign to 10,000 people. But it really isn't, unless it's really thought through about, well, what's the goal? How do you measure success? What's the audience? What's the call to action? Um, you know, you can do that all day long and waste a lot of money. And so strategy to me really starts with understanding who is your ideal prospect. 
because not all traffic and all conversions are good. Um, you can waste a lot of time attracting the wrong demographics, people who are never going to convert. So really digging in and trying to figure out based on who's moved in to your brand or to your community, you'll start looking at common denominators. Where did they live before? What kind of careers did they have? Where do the kids live? You know, what are their financial capabilities? What type of lifestyle um, you know, are they looking for to really be successful in your community? And if you can create that persona, you know, then your marketing partner can go out and try to get you more leads that look like the people who've converted, not just traffic, which and clicks and views and impressions and all that stuff that really is interesting, but it, it doesn't really move the needle. Yeah, there's two different sides to it. There's awareness where you're just wanting to to get the word out, but then when you're actually trying to drive results, it's almost frustrating because then you're like, well, I'm seeing all this, quote, traction, but nobody's actually moving in. And again, that goes back to wasted dollars, wasted time, right. wasted, you know, community effort for the sales and marketing teams. I mean, that's the pinpointing and aligning that. And, and Debbie, again, I'm, I, I fear that you're never going to want to have a conversation with me again because I'm going again off script here. Uh, all good. Question for you. So I think getting that persona, super important. How are you collecting and aggregating that type of information? Because at the end of the day, it that's how you refine your marketing strategy is pinpointing this is this is my ideal client. How are you how are you going about collecting that? Yeah, that's a great question because part of it is is data collection. You can get a lot um, of information by um, we reverse engineer the move-ins. So, you know, for instance, with integration to a CRM, most of our clients do marketing automation and are on HubSpot, which is really the Cadillac of, you know, the marketing automation platforms. We work with all of them, but that's always our mm -hmm. preferred one. And when we have a partner um, that has bilateral integration with HubSpot, then we're able to, to take those move-ins and then reverse engineer them from the first point of contact on the website. And we're able to see, okay, well, how many times do they visit the website before they submit a form? What is their path to conversion? Um, what are the touch points along the way? How often do they um, engage with an, a, a digital ad, for instance, or look at social media? And what's interesting is, you know, you can get first point attribution of where did the lead come from, mm. but that doesn't tell you the whole story. If all that you know is where the lead came from and that they moved in, there's a whole lot of touch points that are completely invisible to you. So you really need transparency to see, okay, this is the path to conversion that people who convert typically take. And we're able to look at that. You know, they visit the website, they consume this type of information, you know, then they'll look at the, um, Maybe they'll click on an ad or go on to Facebook. Then they'll download the community brochure because now they're starting to have questions. Maybe they'll, um, you know, engage with chat or, you know, a survey like rubric or aging choices. Then they'll, they'll schedule a call or they'll click to call or they'll schedule a tour. And so if all of those things are trackable, um, and you have bilateral integration between your marketing platform and your sales platform, um, you know, then there's no blind spots. 
And then you can start looking proactively at, okay, now I can see the behavior that people are taking. And I can say, okay, I can use lead scoring now to say these are the touch points that lead to conversion. I'm going to assign points to those types of behaviors that we're seeing people take on the marketing side. And we'll we'll move them over to, this, to be a sales qualified lead a little bit sooner. Um, and then I would say on the not data side, uh, what we love to do is we'll actually ask our clients to set up Zoom calls like this, which we'll record and then we will we'll uh, transcribe. And we just we meet with a variety of if it's active adult independent retirement CCRC, we might set up calls with the um, with the residents themselves. And if it's more assisted living and memory care with the adult children, and we'll just talk through how did you end up here? What triggered the search? Where did you look? What what was important to you in making this the decision? And ultimately, why was this the right community? Why was this the right choice for you? And when we dig down into that, we can always find those common denominators. And then we can take that and turn it into storytelling and messaging um, that we apply across all of the marketing channels. So when people get to that brand, they see themselves there. Yeah. They go, oh, these are my kind of people. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're you're from Boston. So I'm going to say, I mean, I'm going to say it. Uh, mm -hmm. That's you're just so wicked smart. I love it because <laughs> we can piss that. We can piss it Exactly. I'm gonna break out the Boston out of you. The so interesting because like what you're what you're talking about is not only saving because it seems like a lot. It really does. Probably for people yeah. that are uh, spraying and praying for their marketing strategies, yeah. and I'm sure that you see it a lot when people, you know, eventually. And and I promise this is not a. Uh, an ad for senior living smart. This mm -hmm. is just an authentic conversation between uh, somebody that is truly knowledgeable on the space. And at the end of the day, and this is probably sounds like a talk track when you're talking to a prospective client for you, but uh, the services might seem expensive on the front end, but when that back end, you're talking about saved marketing touch points, you're saving on aggregator leads, you're saving on uh, future future residents and ultimately like better resident outcomes because you get more people like-minded in that community then you're talking about an actual community of residents that are like-minded they enjoy being with one another and it's not a coincidence because we're targeting those type of people and it's not a bad thing and I don't think it's segmenting an unnecessary crowd it's just it's who you are catered to to serve and i think that's phenomenal yeah every community really does have a persona they have a personality and they do attract a certain you know type of person and when you do those interviews it's just so interesting to see those common themes mm -hmm. just come through and then we compare it to <clears throat> what the client has on the website and they're dramatically different so we had a client in in Ohio, who had this um, community, and we had several conversations with residents and adult families of residents and, you know, said, why did you choose this community? And it, it came through that they had like a 10 acre nature preserve in the backyard. And people loved walking their dogs and attracted nature lovers and people who love bird watching and just people who loved being outdoors. And then the executive director had been there for like 25 years and they loved the stability of that leadership and that team. And we went on the website. It didn't say one word 
about um, the stability of the leadership or really even mention or have videos or photography of that 10 acre nature preserve. They were, they were differentiators that were right under their nose, but nobody had taken the time to interview uh, to uncover those. So I, I just find that that really fascinating. That is interesting. And I was just talking with Angie Hildebrandt, uh, the division vice president from Our House Senior Living on the podcast. And uh, it's astounding that people, it, it's, a, it's a little things in life, right? That we you can appreciate and that you just make small tweaks of let's, let's showcase what our residents are coming here for. Let's showcase actual residents. Yes. Like, actual residents that are living inside my community and not telling a wrong story because then again you're 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 providing misconceptions to these individuals that are looking for your community and once that match once that does not match up and I think this is a good segue to sales and marketing and how it blends but once once marketing does not actually match up to what the reality is, right? Immediate distrust, right? Totally. You're you're walking in. You're you're seeing like this is not what I envisioned. And what you're doing is you're painting a clear picture of authenticity that's happening in the community. Yeah, and you know the hardest thing, Michael, is to get the communities to give us those those images. So often you, if you look at either Facebook or you'll look at their website, it's all empty rooms. It's the empty dining room, the empty activity space. It's all very real estate focused. They don't, there's no images of people engaging in those spaces. And that's what brings the community to life. And we were just talking to a, a client that has this gorgeous, I mean, I would love to move into this community because it has pickleball and I would just be playing pickleball all day. <laughs> you know, I'm like, where are the pictures of, of residents playing pickleball? And then they have a bark park and right outside the bark park, they have a pet washing station. I'm like, we should, you need a photographer to do portraits of the residents and their pets and showing them in the bark park and showing them washing their dog in the dog washing station. I mean, how, how many communities have that i haven't seen many where is this again it's <laughs> um it's actually thrive in montvale they oh have, that's awesome it's gorgeous it's just they have a greenhouse and they have an art studio and they have a rock and roll park and um so what we're working on is a, a photography video project with them to really capture those interactions because uh, people have to find their tribe, right? They have to have a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And that's what, um, you know, video and photography and storytelling uh, and being creative, like not just, you know, we're pet friendly, but something like, you know, wet noses and furry tails welcome. Like how mm -hmm. can we be more engaging and fun and playful in, I think, our marketing message? I think you've talked, you're, you're, you're touching on it, but... <laughs> When I was in the seat, I actually had several families that would come up to me and say that they they actually chose looking at my community because at the end of the day, you don't want to be going to eight different communities. I mean, that's overwhelming. Yeah. Typically, families are pinpointing the, you know, the ones that are closest, the ones that have a clear message on their website, uh, the ones that, you know, fit the price point, which again, we could talk about why right. it's important putting transparent pricing. Um, you know, that's another thing that we we're, we're, we're slowly adopting, but they, they actually picked 
um, the community uh, to come because it, of the website, because of the language, because of it. And I think that ties into this next question is what are you seeing from what is the, what are the most effective marketing messages and how important is the digital strategy of uh, communicating that to your consumers in this day and age when literally nobody can see me, but I'm holding a phone right now. Yeah. That's likely how they're finding you. So yeah, great question. You know, you have your phone, I'm on my phone. We have to meet prospects where they are, um, which is search, social, email, and text. Uh, that's where we spend our day. That's where we're consuming our information. And you look, if you look at the real estate that we have to get our message across, it's getting smaller and smaller. So we used to, people used to engage with us on their desktop computers. That was a nice palette that we had plenty of room to, um, to create great messaging. And then we got to a laptop, then we got to a tablet and now we're on phones and, you know, I have my watch. And so now we have this much in, you know, space to really get our message across. So it has to be compelling. Um, and we, you know, we only have seven or eight seconds to get, get people to decide that they're interested enough to stay on our website and to engage with us. So things like it, it has to load quickly. The speed is like so important. Mm. Uh, you know, the website should be mobile first, not just mobile friendly, um, but really be designed for most interactions happening on a mobile device. And there's all kinds of design elements that can make that super effective. Then the navigation has to be intuitive and simple because the more clicks that it takes for someone to get to the information that they want you know, the the sooner that they're going to bounce. And then they it has to be engaging. There have to be things that are interactive in nature. Um, so when people get there, they have something to do. And, you know, in today's buyer, that leading edge of the baby boomer um, wants to remain anonymous at the beginning of their journey. And they want to figure it out for themselves. All of us boomers just want to do it our way. And <laughs> so I'm allowed to say that. Um <laughs> Hey, boomer, you know, <laughs> pick up the phone and, and answer your questions. But we do expect transparency and we re mm -hmm. expect responsiveness. We expect marketing is going to be available to us 24-7, 365. And we, you know, there's three stages in the decision journey. There's the weather stage, you know, whether I should move now or in the spring, whether I should um, move close, mom closer to me or closer to my brother, you know, whether she's going to be appropriate for independent living or memory care, whether we can afford it, whether she can get the veterans benefit. There's a million weather questions before that they have to solve and feel comfortable with before they move to the where question. Hmm. And in the weather stage, it's not about us. It's not about our brand. They don't care about that. It's about them. So they need to see a messaging that says, we're here for you. Um, this is These are the problems that we solve. And this is how we help people uh, who are in the same place you are. Then they get to the where stage. And then it is about the brand. And it is about you and your leadership and experience and trustworthiness and all of those things, price and location. And then it gets down to the when stage. You know, What is the urgency and how can we advance that sale? more quickly. Um, but in the weather stage, they spend 70% of their time in the weather stage and they pretty much want to be anonymous until they get to the point where they're ready for a sales interaction. And that's complete. It should be completely fine. I think, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think we should allow more and more people to be able to peruse, 
to learn, to make the educated decision. Because therefore, once they're educated and you get the lens of seeing this across many communities, the, the further that they're educated, the more that they're educated, the, the higher those conversions are going to go because they're going to bring that education into the community. Right. And honestly, give some more margin for the sales directors to be a little bit more human. And, you know, we, there, this is a sales and marketing podcast this is aimed to help sales directors out. I think that the biggest help right now in this day and age to help sales teams out is to optimize the consumer education. That way, now, now there is two, two sides to the, the story here. They have to come educated, but then the information that gets pushed in from those different platforms to the sales directors, they have to leverage that information, right? right? Like you have to be savvy. You have to make sure that they, as soon as they come into the community, it doesn't feel like they've dropped off. And it's like, well, it's kind of annoying, Michael. I, I, I filled out about a million pages worth of stuff and right. you're not even going to recognize that I did that. That's frustrating. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think there was another question that I was going to ask you and I, th I think it's uh, hopefully it, it comes back, but the, the other one is you, you get to see several communities in their, their marketing state. You get to see the before and after. Do you see a lot of challenges you, you touched on this earlier. Do you see a lot of challenge of we're, we're playing hero ball, like communities are trying to be the heroes as opposed to making the consumers, the heroes in that journey. Is that like a, is that a, a, a it's miss? a big, it's a big deal. Um, so often, you know, if you go onto a lot of the websites, it's, it's all about the brand. Everyone's beating their chest about how wonderful they are. And, you know, at the beginning when people are, are researching, they just want you to help them. And so the, you know, we need to develop the marketing to align it with the needs of the prospect, not to be promoting uh, the brand so much. There's a time when brand is definitely important. Um, but, you know, 90% of the folks that are on your website are early stage awareness and research. And they, first of all, have to know that you understand them and that you're going to help them solve their problem and make an informed decision. And so what we decide to do, which I think is a little bit different, is we've mapped out the prospect journey, every single touch point in the prospect journey. And our job is just to meet the prospect where they are and walk alongside them and give them the right information at the right time um, and, and really be a resource to them. And sometimes that's a rub with some of our clients. Like, why aren't your you know, marketing emails you know, more salesy? Because you'll drive them away. You know, mm -hmm. why don't you make them leave their phone number if they want to get a brochure? Well, if they wanted to talk to you, they would have clicked a call or they would have scheduled a phone appointment or they would have scheduled a tour. Clearly, they didn't do those things because they want to remain anonymous. Mm -hmm. And if we force them to put a phone number in, one of two things will happen. Either you will just get fewer leads because I'm going to say, if I put my phone number in, someone's going to call me. I don't want my phone to blow up, so I'm not going to do it and I'll just go to the next provider or I'll give you a fake phone number. <laughs> Yep. And it doesn't really help anybody. And, you know, it's so funny because a lot of the education we do is about understanding that, you know, leads are in different places. They're not good or bad. They're not hot, warm or cold. They're just in different stages of readiness. And so 
we separate out and kind of triage the leads into sales qualified leads and marketing qualified leads. And those sales qualified leads are ones that have raised their own hands to say, I want a sales interaction. And you have to give them those choices. So call tracking so we can get attribution. Where are the phone? What's making the phone ring? And then listening to those calls to find out what the quality of those calls are and what is the experience that they're getting on the other end. Um, number two, they should be able to schedule an appointment with you. Whether that appointment is a tour or a phone appointment, those are sales qualified leads. Or if somebody's willing to spend five or six minutes taking a rubric, um, you know, decision tool, Mm -hmm. and share it with you, that's a high level of commitment. Those are sales qualified. Or if they want to RSVP to an event, anything that's going to get them face-to-face -face or voice-to-voice -voice with your sales team. But there's a whole lot more leads out there. That's the blue ocean mm -hmm. that will download a brochure or a funding guide or a family decision toolkit, you know, how to choose the right community guide for families. And if you make those resources available to them with very little friction, uh, just first name, last name, and email address, and then nurture them, those will end up being your most qualified leads. Mm. Uh, and, it, you know, it that's an education that's really hard uh, for people to buy into, I think, especially sales teams, because I was a salesperson at the community, you were a salesperson at the community, I didn't want, I wanted all the leads. Yeah. Yeah, I like if I can talk to them, I'll convince them. You know, I'll change their mind. I'll change their mind. I'll get them. They'll just all love. Me. They'll love me, and they'll come in to do her. You know, it's just not true. Um, people who are ready uh, in the sales team, it's not really fair for them either. They can only effectively work a certain number of leads. We want the sales team to be working high intent, ready to convert leads that haven't that that want that sales interaction. And we want to protect their time so that they can really go deep into th that relationship building. But we can't afford to lose the top of the funnel early stage leads either. And that's where marketing automation becomes a complement to mm. nurture them through a cadence of email drip campaigns um, over time to advance them to a sales qualified lead. Um, and what we hear from the sales team, at the beginning, they're very resistant. They don't like this idea at all until they start seeing these marketing qualified leads coming over. And because they've been nurtured for so long, they're already connected to the brand and the community because they think that they've been receiving these handwritten emails from the community team because it's all personalized. Mm -hmm. And so by the time they have these conversations, there's much less defensiveness. There's much more um, information that they are already aware of. And the conversion of those, uh, those leads that ad advance through nurturing have a higher closing rate than those that go directly to a sales qualified uh, engagement, which is really interesting to me. I would love to see the difference, like that delta of the 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 ones that have come from MQL to SQL. What are those conversion rates? And then honestly, just interview some salespeople on the the differences and the differences of the journey. Because I'm probably amount of touch points that you you have uh, probably drastically go down. And again, it's it's not to take away because I'm I'm with you. Like I was in the same boat. I just wanted to get an opportunity to talk to every single person. Like I just wanted right. to to talk with them. I felt like I could, you know, once once I was able to get in front of them, I had a good chance. But at the same time, what happens if we we offload 
some of those and allow you to spend more quality time with the ones that have, like you said, more high intent, then I think that you're really opening up the doors for better better conversations and, and more time savings for the, the sales team. Again, that's the that's the end goal right there. So yeah. I think it's fantastic. So Debbie, um, amongst some some technical issues, I think we we had a, a really good conversation. <laughs> Hopefully we can string this together and that I can, uh, for, for all those that do not know, uh, my internet went out. And so if you notice a little gap of conversation that is completely on my end, uh, and I need to fix our Wi-Fi. You would think working at a technology company, we would have gotten that figured out, right? Debbie? <laughs> <laughs> you never know when it's going to go out. So it was a <laughs> I enjoyed our conversation. I I believe that you will be able to string this together into something uh, cohesive. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will. And and um, please come back for part two because Debbie, I feel like we could we could talk for uh, a lot longer than this. And just very thankful for what you do to for the industry. And uh, ultimately, at at the end of the day, if we're this this conversation, this type of think tank is supposed to provide a, a better experience for our customers. And I think that we're heading in that direction. So just one conversation at a time, I think. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Well, thank you, Debbie. This has been a, a fantastic episode of the 100 Club podcast. And until next time, y'all have a great day.